Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Desgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast. And what is this a podcast of? Of happiness, of wellness, of amazing people doing amazing things. And today, I'm kind of mixing it up. We ha- I have a co-host. Not that I really need a co-host. I'm just joking. But I have one of my good buds, you know, Todd, Todd Keats. We did a podcast together. And no, I like being part of his team. I like when we team up. He just has good juju about him. So he kind of introduced me to two peeps. We have... My dad, John, we have daughter, Alex, and they're a combo and they both were EMTs together, which is so awesome. So I thought it'd be awesome since, you know, Todd met them first. We do a combo podcast new for the Dr. Raj theme, and we interview both of them at the same time. So I'm going to let Todd do his intro, then I'm going to come back here and I'm going to do the bio of Alex and we'll go from there. So everyone sit tight. This is going to be an awesome podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Raj. I'm really excited to be here to be co-host on the Dr. Raj podcast and in conjunction with the Caregiving Insights podcast. So this is really a lot of fun. And the way this all came to be was a longtime friend of mine from high school uh, introduced me to Alex. And I introduced Alex to Dr. Raj, and then we got introduced to John, and and here we are. So there's a really fun story we're going to talk about here today, and I think everybody's really going to enjoy. So Alex is about to finish up her neuroscience degree at Middlebury College with a minor in theater. I kind of like that, you know. Um, During her time as a student, Alex took off a semester amidst the pandemic to work as a medical assistant at a local hospital in Vermont to help alleviate the staffing issues with COVID. That's awesome. Uh, Outside of medicine, Alex performs with an improv comedy troupe and an acapella group on campus and has starred in the occasional short film. Alex, do do I need to get an autograph after this? It's okay, but my agents were were pressed about my... uh... (laughs) We often hear of a child following in a person's footsteps by going into the family business or going into the same line of work. That being said, it's probably less likely you've heard of a daughter or son becoming an EMT because their dad was an EMT. Well, following in her dad's footsteps, Alex became an EMT at the age of 16. And today, we're going to hear from her and her dad. I'm so pumped. Todd, why don't you introduce John and let's get this on the way. Sounds awesome. So John spent his professional career in advertising and marketing in the U.S. and Europe but he always had an interest in medicine and first aid. It wasn't until his kids were in high school that he felt he could take the time to become an EMT. Fortunately, the Wilton Volunteer Ambulance Corps in Wilton, Connecticut, sponsors two EMT classes a year for residents. John completed the course and became a licensed EMT and NREMT 
in December of 2016. He went on to volunteer for the next six years, including the intense period during COVID-19 and lockdown in the New York area. John also served as secretary and president of the organization, is proud of the accomplishments of the Wilton Corps of EMTs. Training young EMTs is a central objective to WVAC, and unlike many services, the group accepts EMTs as young as 16 years. Hmm. Last <laughs> year, John and his wife bought a small inn on Cape Cod, and he had to leave WVAC. He will never forget how much he learned and grew through serving as an EMT, including the notable life experience and sharing several shifts on the ambulance with his daughter, Alex, who was also an EMT at WVAC from the age of 16. Cool. So anyways, I'm just going to just start off with this. You know why I dig this story? When I finished my internal medicine residency, I was an attending for about a year, two years, you know, before I went to do poem and critical care and all that kind of stuff. My mom was still a practicing RN. So there was a little overlap. We didn't work in the same hospital. I definitely wasn't in the same ambulance, thank God, over there. But um, there's something cool about, you know, being the son, being the daughter, and being with your parent. It's just, it's really special. So I just wanted to throw it out there and why I dig you guys. So, Todd, I'm going to go first. Is that cool? You're up. All right. So, Alex, this one is for you. So what inspired you to be an emergency medical technician at EMT? Well, my dad kept coming home with these crazy stories. Um, it was something that I had always been sort of a science nerd. I'd always, you know, liked chemistry and all of those crazy things, um, but wasn't sure what I really wanted to do with it. And I don't think anyone really does at 16. But then to have my dad, who had spent his whole career in advertising and as long as I had known him, hadn't spent too much time in medicine and then would sit at the dining table and talk about how he was like stopping bleeding and there was like crazy psych calls or or even just sort of nonchalantly talking about, you know, someone who couldn't poop for three days. And it, I just, a fire lit in my eyes and I said, I have to do that too. And it just so happens that Connecticut is special that you can get a license at such a young age. And so because he already had the experience, he was sort of was like, the door was a little more open even for me to to get started. So I think it was like on or around my 16th birthday, we were like, let's find a course. And it, was, it went from there. But Alex, you know, 16 is so young. I think I remember when I was 16, maybe, you know, I, you know, when I hear poop stories when I was 15, 16 or blood or vomit or whatever it is, you know, you went into the route of a little comedy and a little acting. How did that say, no, this is what I want to do. I want to hang out with my dad and I want to be in an ambulance. And yeah, if people could be dying around me, that's kind of what I want to do at that age. I mean, what grabbed you to that? I think I had always admired people who were sort of running towards screaming and terror. Um, I had seen that in my dad even before he became an EMT. I have like a vivid memory of sitting in a in a theater watching Bolt, which was like a Disney film. And it's about a dog, right? Like a dog, it right? A dog. It was a dog <laughs> film. And someone starts screaming in the back of the theater and like everyone sort of freezes. But my dad like leapt over the back. And, and I, I was like, I wonder if one day I'll be, you know, if that's that'll be my instinct as well. And I think that is sort of like how it netted out. Is it like, sure, I like to joke and have the attention of the stage. But at the end of the day, like I, I find the most value in those situations where 
if people are freaking out and I can like find some sense of calm and then handle it, that's way more rewarding than anything performance related. John, so I'm going to kind of parlay these together, you know. So being the dad and, you know, experiencing what you knew at the time, you know, I was the EMT and it's it's not an easy job. You want to do it correctly and really help people out. There are some risky things that you do. You have a wonderful 15, 16 year old daughter at the time, and she wants to hang out with you and do what you do. How, do, how did that make you feel? You know, well, first of all, I, I think some time back I said in front of Alex that to somebody else that she followed my footsteps and I, I thought she'd never forgive me for saying that. So I'm amazed that she's putting it that way because uh, the way that she used to position it, it was her idea first. Um, so that's good. I'm glad that's kind of changed, but it is, it's, you know, it, it is true. I, I didn't think of it in the sense of the dining room table. And of, of course we always acknowledged HIPAA. We didn't use names or anything like that, but it was the dining room table where she got recruited because she was fascinated by the stories. My wife too. She always says she's like an honorary EMT because she was in all those conversations too uh, and loved it. But it was the right thing for Alex. I knew she would love it. So she tried it out. We had a list that of when she did her training, she did it in a rough town. And we had a list on the wall of the crazy calls that we'd been on. And it was a competitive thing. So <laughs> she saw the first ODG. We made up a term ODG, obvious dead guy. So she won that race. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I always want to get into the details because you're like you're like a teaser. You're like, hey, <laughs> but I, I, there's a little script I'm reading over here. It's Todd's next question, but I may get back to you on that. <laughs> Todd, fire away, bud. <laughs> yeah. So this is for both of you, and you guys can choose who wants to answer this. But how did you end up working together? I mean, did you request, did one of you request, hey, I want to work with my dad or hey, I want to work with my daughter? How did that work out? And there's no lying on the podcast, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We didn't have time to to corroborate our story. So this no, is, we didn't. This is- <laughs> I was hands off because the last thing I wanted to do was like say to Alex, let's do a shift together. So from my point of view, it was like, if it happened, it was great, but I never pushed it. Yeah, I think like the way the scheduling worked was you sort of submitted how many hours you were available and then sort of like willy nilly got put on the schedule. Um, but so I don't I I think I had a similar I was like, I can't I can't I don't want to like be on the with my dad. Like, <laughs> I don't, like, I don't want to like ask for it. But then once we did end up getting on, it was like it. we had some cool calls or they were boring and it was still fun because then it was basically just us hanging out in a living room together, which is what we would do at home. But we were like in our little uniforms <laughs> waiting for disaster to strike so it was i yeah i don't know that we ever really tried to get on calls together it just ended up sort of like happening that way so what was it like working together each of you how did that feel I and mean, what was it like i really enjoyed it i was i was so proud obviously of alex and we had one particularly hairy call that alex wants to tell about it she can but um, no, that's my question for the next one but don't worry i'll make it we're going by the numbers man so, yeah we'll, 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 we'll hold back on that one because it, it is good and her memory is probably better than mine but um i was proud and and it was the funniest moments were when the patients in the stretcher in the back and one emt says to the other hey dad pass me the whatever and you could see the patient sort of like do one of those what <laughs> so uh, that was fun. I love it. Alex? 
Yeah, totally. The whole the whole hey dad passed me a splint kind of thing was was the best because honestly, like the way I think about it, there's very few interventions that we can do as EMTs that like really make any huge difference. So a lot of what we're doing is just like distracting them from what's going on and making sure they're comfortable and like, you know, grounded by the time we get through the hospital doors. And so if for a couple seconds they can sort of forget that they just broke their wrist and can say, oh my God, like my EMTs are father daughter. Like if that even for a second takes the distraction away, that was also kind of a fun aspect of it. And then even like when we were on scene with, you know, fire or PD, they would be like, dad, who's dad? Like, what? I think some people actually thought, you know how like the nightmare in like elementary school is that you, you call your teacher mom or something. (laughs) I think people thought it was like a Freudian slip. And I was like, no, that is my father. Like, we're <laughs> <laughs> Not father figure, actual father. Oh, no, that's my dad. <laughs> well, before I bang on my questions, I will say this much, you know, don't ever downplay what EMT paramedics do because, you know, when it comes to acute coronary syndrome and stroke, yeah, sure, I teach my medical students and residents what to do, but you guys are the first responders, getting the 12 lead on there, making sure that they get their appropriate medications, who gets nitro, no nitro, going to the right hospital. It's huge. You guys are solid. So with that being said, let's go to story time, because I want to hear some stories. So um, this is an Alex-John combo. What was your most memorable moments? It could be difficult. It could be funny. So one of you guys go first, then the other one goes second. Uh, I mean, I think there's a hands down, like I, Alex said, we haven't collaborated on this, but I don't think there's any question what the number one call we had together was. Um, and I'll tee it up and then Alex can finish it because she's the one who got the the messiest. We walked in, we walked, it was a retirement home and we walked in and, and the fire department was already there. And actually the guy who, the lead fire guy is actually a paramedic on the side, but he can't practice as a paramedic when he's on fire shift. So but he was he was definitely a little flustered, more flustered than usual. And he said, yeah, we got to bleed here and it's pretty good. I think you should just pack up and go, you know, like, let's just get her to the hospital. And I was like, well, let me let me take a look. And he said, no, I, I've used eight Chuck's pads I, and it's uh, we got to go. And I'm like, oh, OK. And I still like I was just dumb. I was like, well, let's still like let's assess. And, and Alex was the one who stepped up and um, <laughs> I'll let her tell the rest because it was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, it was one of those things where you're like, let's not panic till we have to panic. And then I approached the bed and there was just literally a like a river of blood coming down the stretcher. And we were like, we all kind of like made this eye contact moment of like, yep, okay, we're we're moving. And so we were, we had a paramedic up with us as well. And he was like, hop on, basically, because it was she had had some like, what was it like a drain was she had a drain, I think, but it was in her like femoral artery. I mean, it was like, yeah, it was in a bad place and it had come out. It had popped. Um, well, wait, wait, we have to go back, have to go back to the doctor and me. So, how, yeah. what, what do you mean by drain and what was it doing even vaguely close to the femoral artery? We, we never really found that out, but it was there was something that had been inserted into a, some b- blood vessel that had come okay. out. She oh. had like sort of hip to hip stitching. Okay, okay. From gastro surgery of some kind that needed some kind of drain that had loosened and was now erupting. Um, oh my God. But it was one of those where we were like, okay, grab all the bags, get everything, we're moving. And I was like, you know, 100 pounds soaking wet at the time and 16. And the paramedic was like, you're 
getting in there, get go on. And it was one of those where I was just like layering pads and my whole forearm was like essentially up in this woman's abdominal cavity. And we're like moving the stretcher and we're getting into the thing. And Alex is riding the stretcher. I was riding the stretcher. Of the patient. (laughs) (laughs) That's like everyone's dream per se when you're an EMT in the olden days. I know we don't encourage riding the stretcher anymore, but in the olden days, I always kind of in a weird way wished, can I be doing CPR on a stretcher while they're doing it? I never got to do it, but that was you. You were compressing while you were pushing the gurney. Yeah. Wow. That was my. The the patient was really chill about it too. That was the scariest part was that she was completely conscious. She'd lost liters of blood at this point. That's a femoral artery. Unreal. And she was like, she just kept asking me. She kept saying, what's your name, dear? And I was like, don't worry about it. Don't worry (laughs) about it. I was like, Alex, but you're going to ask me again in 10 seconds and we're going to keep moving. Like it was just. You could have done some stand-up, Alex. To, I know. To I think I could have said it. pretty much anything. <laughs> yeah. And it would have been fine. But well, she did, it, I think. She did. She lived there. But they said it was really close. Like, she had yeah. Good for left. you. Nothing left. Well, before uh, I throw it back to Todd, I mean, that was a serious... Is there a, is one of you guys want to throw out a funny one? Like, a kind of a hilarious one that we should hear about? I have a funny one. I don't know if you remember this, Dad, but we, we had an overnight um shift and at the time I was a contacts wearer and um I'd taken them out for the night because I couldn't sleep in them so I had my glasses on the side table and we got a call at like two or three in the morning and in my becoming a person again I put my pants on I'm going outside and I get like halfway down the steps and I was like I can't see anything (laughs) I had forgotten my glasses on the side on the like the little side table and I was like dad I can't like I can't see anything (laughs) and you were like it's fine and I was like I I wasn't like dangerous to other people it was more of like don't ask me to like run somewhere because like I would probably fall over um and you you, never run an EMS yeah you never (laughs) um but we were like getting in an elevator and you were like oh I'll go I think you were crew chief at that point and so you were like oh i'll go assess the patient you take the stretcher up and i get in the elevator and the doors are closing and i was like i can't read the elevator buttons <laughs> I get up. and so i'm yelling with the stretcher and i go dad dad and he comes i, I forgot that I, was, I think i yelled john at first and you didn't respond and then i was like nope dad <laughs> so john random question how many how many kids you got is this the only one right here no, we have a son too. Is two years younger than Alex, and he crazy of all things. He also took the EMT course during COVID, begrudgingly. It was kind of like I said, you got to do something, do do something. And um, but he never he finished the course and he passed the test, but he never got his license. Like Not with Alex, it was what she kind of was built for, and Jack was. Uh, I mean, he he learned it all, but he just it wasn't his thing. Yeah. All right, so the next one is for Alex. Whether related to your job as an EMT or otherwise, what's the best advice your dad has given you? Oh, that's hard. You didn't give him the questions, Todd. You're so mean today, dude. Alex, you can sit with that for a moment. <laughs> we'll go to we'll go to your dad. So John, awesome. what did you learn about Alex while working with her as an EMT that you may not have known or realized before? That's a hard one because we've always been pretty close. So no, I mean it's uh, she she doesn't surprise me often. 
I have high expectations and she usually delivered. So it's not, uh, wasn't anything like that. Cause you know, you were touching on the humor thing, not, not dodging the question, but the, one of the best things in the back of the ambulance is to have a sense of humor. And like Alex said, you know, to, to get the patient to relax. So I guess, I guess in that context, it's, it's not something that surprised me about Alex, but it was seeing how grounded she could be and find the humor in a really crappy situation, you know, not only deal with the situation, but then extend humor to the patient to help them. For any EMT, it's a great skill. Yeah. John, I'm going to go rogue question right here, dude. Um, you know, I have two daughters and a boy. My oldest, which is 10, I kind of treat her like one of the boys sometimes because it just, I do. I love certain things, Star Wars and Marvel movies and sports. You know, with having Alex, you know, an EMT buddy, is she like one of the boys in the family or is... <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's definitely, you know, and she, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a father-daughter thing that I think yeah. is really a natural kind of, you know, there's like, uh, yeah, I never talked to her like she was a kid. Um, you, you go by like, tackle football with her or something, you know? No, no. She, <laughs> no, and it wasn't, no, yeah, it wasn't like that. And and it definitely, but going back to the her following me, I, I, I really think it wasn't, it wasn't that like that kind of connection where it's like, oh, I grew up doing, putting Band-Aids on people. I think she just saw that it was a, an amazing experience. Um, That's awesome, man. So, yeah, I think it was more of that. It's just like, that would be amazing. And like she said, running towards, that was something we'd always talked about. Like, wow, it's a great thing if you are competent enough or feel competent enough to run towards problems instead of away from them. That's awesome. All right, Alex. Back yeah. to you. Yeah, so Alex, your chance to answer. <laughs> <laughs> I I have one. Well, I think it's more of a philosophy than than a piece of advice. But I think I was always sort of like a, I was an anxious enough person that I was sort of self governing in the sense where like I feel like very very infrequently were you like heavily like parenting me. Like I sort of would, like had my own voices that were keeping me on on track. So I feel like any time that that became too intensive, like a sort of panic in me you always had this sort of sense of like it doesn't matter like it's all good there was almost I mean you always hear about like parents who are always you have to clean your room or whatever and it was like very much like I did what I did and then in moments where I was like I actually have no idea what to do at this point there was this sense of like no but you do you're fine like you'll figure it out and it I think that was a good guiding voice particularly when you're in something as intense as like EMT stuff at such a young age like to have that parenting style of just like relax, you're you're gonna be okay. It was like then zen your way through it. Exactly. You've always said zen your way through it. Like with interviews, like college stuff, like all that kind of stuff just was like No, it's true. I mean it's true. Alex always did self-regulate. She she did I never had to tell her to do her homework once. I mean, putting the brakes on her was the biggest parenting moment from yeah. It, it was just keeping her her head on because sometimes she got so engaged in everything that it was, you know, it was too much. She overwhelmed herself. I'm going to, this is a good question for Alex. So, you know, I knew Alex before this talk, Alex is going to be teaming up with me for one of my books. I'm super pumped for that. You know, 
even though she can't find the emails I sent her, but it's still all right. <laughs> you know I was going to throw it out there, Alex. But my question to you, everyone, Alex wants to be a physician. I'm very proud of her. And it's, I, I mean, you don't have to twist my arm to say I think it's a great decision. My question to you is, too, it's, it's kind of an odd question because it's so generically asked. But I do want to know, hey, what motivated you to want to become a physician? And number two, how did your EMT training How's that contributing to your decision or making you want to become a physician? Yeah, I mean, I think I didn't really even consider being a doctor until I'd done the EMT thing. I think I was like, I'm going to be a quiet little demure researcher and do my little whatever. And then I realized once I sort of became enthralled and addicted to the stories and like the just connecting with people, I realized that that was the part that actually like inspired me to pursue the patient side of medicine. And then pretty much any time I got to run a call in any kind of way, that was when, one, I thought everyone was the most efficient. And two, I felt like I was like the most locked in because that's always the question. It's like, well, why not a nurse? Why not a PA? And so I think that like that aspect of if you can have the energy to walk into a room, particularly when you're an EMT in high school and people are really privy to say, oh, she's just like the wallflower volunteer. Like if you can get a room full of adults to say, okay, you get the stretcher, you grab the paperwork, you find the meds and people listen. That was something where I was like, okay, this is something I can do. And then like, realistically, I think I would be good at it. And, and let me plant a little seed in your mind, Alex, you know, talking to your dad and talking to you and the way you answer questions, maybe consider doing a little critical care as a fellowship. You know, that's what I do. And I still get to relive some of my EMT days. So you may have that in you, okay? Love it. <laughs> Todd, all yours, dude. So in closing, and again, I didn't give you guys the, the questions, so it might take <laughs> a few seconds to think about this, but um, maybe it's right at hand. So in closing, two part. What wisdom would you each share with the audience about A, let's start with A, having the ultimate responsibility of someone's life literally in your hands? I can take that because that's easy. I mean, as you said in my bio, one of the things I was most proud of of our ambulance, our volunteer ambulance corps was that we promoted bringing in young young people. So very few organizations around the country, as far as I know, take in 16-year-olds. But we were we were built for that. So we gave that advice all the time. We had these 16-year-olds coming in and they were always riding as a third person, you know, until they they couldn't be a what we call a crew chief to run a call until they were 18. So a lot of our job as the grown-ups at the ambulance corps was to teach kids and to give them advice and to understand their path because you know, some of those kids were there because their parents made them. Some of those kids were there because they thought it was a great idea and, and they just wanted a resume builder and some loved it. So the advice was not boilerplate, but I, you know, maybe rolling back to what Alex said, even to those kids, I'd say, relax, you know, you've got to know what you're doing and rely on that, but don't coil yourself up because that that's where everything falls apart. Know that you know what you're doing clear the air, do what you've got to do. John, I'm going to go rogue, ask you a question. I didn't realize you're hanging out in the lighthouse now more often than not. So uh, 
Do you miss being an EMT? Do you want to go back? You look young. I mean, you look at least 36 tops, yeah. you know? Um, right, right, sure. <laughs> um, well, yeah, you know what? When I first got here, I, I was like, I was looking. There are no volunteer. It's all fire departments around here. So do I miss it a little? I miss it a little bit, but, I, but I'm not looking back. I mean, I loved it. I really did love it, but it's okay. It was a phase for me. It was six years. And um loved what I learned. And I know someday it'll it'll be useful again. There's gonna be a moment where I'm gonna use those skills. But yeah, you know what? I don't miss it as much as I thought I'd miss it. Not because I hate it. it I loved it, but it's it's I've moved on. I'll put it that way. So Alex, any any answer to that? Any wisdom about literally having someone's life in your hands and what that what's that's about? I think the second you decide in your brain that someone's life is in your hands, that's where your brain starts to just completely unravel outside your ears. And so there is like a a sense of distance, I feel like, that you have to keep and that you sort of automatically kick into when something's really in a high intensity moment. Like if you're doing CPR, you really aren't thinking like every press of my hand is keeping this person alive. Like you can't think that like it's just not sustainable. And it's sort of the moments before and after that's how that really is like any mindset that you can even control. And it's really more the moments where you're not actively like saving someone's life that your like personality and your like affinity towards people is really going to be the thing that makes the difference. Like a monkey can do CPR, but if you can calm someone down from having a suicidal ideation, that is really where it's less about okay they're they're gonna make it no matter what you say or do between here and the hospital so what can you do to make probably one of the worst days of their lives any bit better thank you that was beautifully said wow so i i have one i have the part b (laughs) to this question and then i'll close up and then i'll hand it off to dr raj to close up uh so some more wisdom for both of you tell the audience about the beauty of collaborating as parent-child and, you know, whether it's in such a unique, serious way as an EMT or just anything in general in life. It's a gift that we could do that. And, you know, I mean, parenting, as all parents know, it's a balance of, you know, as, as kids, the relationship changes as kids grow. So anytime you can get that, that moment, you know, if it's sometimes it's taking a kid to a baseball game and connecting and it's a memory you have forever. Um, this just happens to be another level. Yeah. It's like taking Alex to a baseball game that she loved and um, she'll remember it, but you can't, as a parent, you can't take credit for it. You just have to revel in it. Thank you. Yeah. How about Alex? What do you think? I think this was particularly unique because I think in most cases where it's father, daughter, or, or any parent, child combination you are often the child is the one who's sort of like completely like you know entering I'm going to be a doctor because my dad was a doctor and that kind of thing and so the fact that you'd only begun being an EMT about a year before I started was this really cool situation where we were also learning from each other and building off of each other's experiences because it wasn't like oh I'm coming into your field that you have this like you know like lifelong grasp of and so we we both were students in it at the same time, which I think is sort of a rare experience for most father-daughter relationships. But that was very cool. And I think we learned a lot of, through each other, but also like about each other at the same time. That's very cool. I I, I use that word a lot with people. Cool. It's one of my favorite words. <laughs> <laughs> but it is very cool. And I, 
just thank you both so much, you know, John and Alex. Really appreciate you taking the time to to be here today. It's, it's been a little bit of everything, <laughs> a little bit of uh, interesting stories that I would have never imagined, and it was great getting to learn more about both of you. And to Dr. Raj, this has been a lot of fun, and thank you so much. It's been fun to be your co-host and your front seat partner in the EMT truck of. <laughs> Interviews um, and caregiving insights um, to be on the, with you in the Dr. Raj podcast, and looking forward to doing so much more. Todd, you're my bud, dude. I love this, and I wouldn't put my brand with your brand if I just didn't believe what you believe in, which is just awesome. And for you two down below, um, John, you just seem like a really cool dad. You know what I mean? And I gotta say, just to kind of embarrass Alex, that you're you're amazing. I like the way you handled your questions. I just know that you're gonna be a physician, be a great physician, take my advice and go into critical care. I, I just feel it already, you know? So thanks for being on the Dr. Raj podcast. And for everyone out there, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I actually had a blast. I'm not just making that up. I did have a blast. So stay tuned in two weeks for the next episode of the Dr. Raj podcast. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. <laughs>